By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe that God's love is for us. In fact, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we come here today with many fears. And as we are confronted by your word, we pray for understanding from you. In you we pray. Amen. Well, it's the season of fear Uh, here in uh, North America. uh, This week, we will uh, be celebrating Halloween, that time in which people love to uh, scare each other and be afraid. Uh, But for most of us, uh, the fear that is being experienced right now transcends uh, the the fright of of Halloween. Rather, there is a general sense of fear and foreboding hanging over all of us. Uh, The political climate in the United States and around the world, for that matter, is certainly contributing to this fear. And of course, there's an election uh, coming up in two weeks, and I hope that uh, everyone is planning on doing their civic duty and getting out to vote. Uh, But many people are afraid of the outcome, one way or the other. Along with uh, this, of course, there's many, many things to be afraid of this week, bomb threats. Uh, Today, there was sadly a shooting this morning in a synagogue. Uh, We learned more details about the oppression of the free press uh, with the the murder of uh, a, a, a journalist by the Saudi government. And uh, there are just a lot of things to be afraid of, and a lot of us are experiencing intense fear for, for good reason. And so in this intense climate of, of fear, we're going to take a few moments each week over the next five weeks during our teaching time here to talk about what the Bible has to say about fear. And so joining me in this journey will be Nick Zork and Annette Espana, and we will be, uh, again, wrestling with this issue of the Bible and what the Bible has to say about fear for the next five weeks. I should remind you that you can always go on adventhope.org and find the video or audio podcasts from the previous week and weeks beyond that uh, if you want to get caught up on any of the messages that we've had previously or as we go through this uh, series, you will have the opportunity to catch up there. And so, our text today is looking at what the Apostle John has to say about this issue of fear as he engages the idea of fear uh, head-on. 
Now, uh, Paul uses two words that are going to become very familiar uh, to us during this journey of fear, and I'm going to just share you their pre-translation pronunciation. So we have phobos, which is the Greek for uh, fear, and we have agape. And so this passage in 1 John is contrasting these two ideas, agape or love versus uh, phobos or the phobia of, of fear, fear. And so we see that uh, these are, according to John, they're, they're uh, antithetical ideas. Fear and love, they just don't go together. In fact, he says, whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this love, this love is perfected so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. There is no fear in love. Fear and love, according to John, do not go together. And the promise of this text is that whoever lives in love lives in God, and when God lives in them or abides in them, there will be no fear in their experience because relationships that have fear in them are not healthy. You can't have a healthy relationship with someone that you are afraid of. And so according to 1 John, the easy a solution to our fear problem that we have as, as humans is to simply abide in a love. If we abide in love, then our fears will be relieved and God will live in us. And so we must abide in love. There it is. Easy place to wrap up our message today. Go, abide in love, live in love, and uh, all of your fears will be cast away. Doesn't that sound fantastic? Uh, the problem is, as you know, I think that uh, abiding in love is innately difficult. The idea of living in love, like you are just, you have so much love in your experience that uh, there is no fear because you, 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 you abide in love. That's innately, innately challenging. I mean, yes, there are some things that are very easy to, to love. Puppies. I mean, puppies are, are easy to love, Right? I mean, I feel like there, there should be a test of, uh, you know, if, if you ever get a, like, is, is this person a psychopath? And that to the, do that, t- they should bring in puppies. And if the, the puppy has no, the, 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 the person has no emotional response to a basket full of puppies, something is, is dreadfully wrong, right? I mean, puppies. Everybody loves puppies. How about the beach? I mean, every, is there anyone who does not love the beach? If you are, just keep it to yourself. We're not going to call you a psychopath. Puppies, the beach, uh, I don't know, maybe you have a, a particular holiday. that you. I mean, everybody likes some holiday, I would think. Maybe, maybe you don't like a holiday. But there are, there are things that are pretty easy to, to love, if we're honest. Uh, the problem is there are also a lot of things that aren't easy uh, to love, things that make it difficult to abide in love. And sometimes... Things that we're really committed to are the most difficult things to uh, really love. Your career, your vocation. I mean, you want to love your vocation, but sometimes it just doesn't work. Things aren't going well, and so you are committed to it, but the idea of loving your vocation can be incredibly, incredibly challenging. Your family. Some of you know, I mean, Thanksgiving is coming, that holiday in which we like to spend time sequestered in homes, eating and spend time with family, and it, it sounds so good, 
and we love our families and we want to be committed to us, but abiding in love for all of those days that you're together eating uh, uh, food with your families, that can, be, that can be challenging. You guys know what I'm talking about? Abiding in love with your family. Sometimes that is difficult. Some of us have a hard time abiding in love when it comes to ourselves. We have a hard time loving our, our, ourselves. We, we, we irritate ourselves. And so this idea of abiding in love, I mean, it sounds great. Abiding in love, and abide in love, and all your fear will go away. But abiding in love is uh, difficult. Now, I think there are some really very obvious reasons why just living in love all the time, that you just are filled with love and you have no fear or, or innately challenging. Uh, first of all, there are difficult people in the world that make it really challenging to always just live with a very loving spirit. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever been in the subway? Um, so I, we had our uh, neighborhood meeting on Monday. We had the, the, the people from all over the neighborhood. We had our council uh, people. Ben Callas is our, our local councilman or one of them. And he came and he told us some inf interesting information that I was not aware of. Did, did you know that the subway stop at 86 in Lexington, that is our own beloved subway stop is the ninth busiest subway stop in all of New York City. The next one, number eight, is 59th Street, which of course is a much larger subway st station. The other stations that are on the list are like, you know, Penn Station, these giant stations that have all these trains. And so here's our little teeny station on 86th and, and Lexington, the ninth most busy station. If you go down there sometimes, it is miserable. You are not you are not unlikely to uh, hear someone singing Stairway to Heaven off-key loudly, or there are smells that arise from the subway and the, the people therein. And, and then you, when you get on the train, I was on the train the other day, and my face was in someone's, you know, arm very closely. And that's very irritating. And then on top of all of those things, there are just difficult people. There are annoying, irritating people. I might be one of them. <laughs> um, and so difficult people can make it very challenging for us to just abide in love. Oh, abide in love. That sounds fantastic. But uh, we, there are other people in our experience. And so when we're in difficult circumstances or we're around challenging people, maybe it's not the subway for you. Maybe it, it is your, your workspace and you've got that workmate who is just irritating. Uh, difficult people make it challenging for us to abide in love, to just live in, in love. Uh, secondly, we're challenged by this concept of abiding in love because there are legitimate fears in the world. Did you know that researchers have determined that humans are born with only two innate fears? Humans are born with only two innate fears. Do you know what those fears are? Falling and loud noises. So they did studies, I don't know which parents let their kids be a part of these studies, but they did have done studies on small infants and determined that when you put an infant on a precipice, <laughs> they had some plexiglass there, so if the infant fell, it was not, but, but um, researchers, you know, God bless them. Anyway, infants on a precipice that, of course, an infant was afraid to fall, and so that has been determined as one innate fear that we as humans have and uh, the other fear is loud noises, and of course, these actually both make sense because falling 
or loud noises, usually that those, something bad would happen if you, if you have those. And so there are legitimate things to be afraid of. I should note that most fears are learned. Spiders, snakes, uh, the dark, these are called natural fears, and they're developed usually from a very young age, and they're influenced by our environment and our culture. And so a young child is not innately afraid of spiders. They've usually learned that from someone else, often parents who maybe also have a fear of that. And so we have innate fears, things that are legitimately scary, and then we have learned fears, which also may be, uh, may be dangerous to us. And so these legitimate fears make it very difficult for us to live in just a sense of peace and without out fear, because there are scary things in uh, the world. And so how do we overcome fear when there are scary things in the world? How do we... Uh, Abide, how do we live in love, love when there are scary things in the world? Now, finally, we have a difficult time abiding in love and living a, an experience of, of fearlessness because we have learned to fear rather than to love. Racism, nationalism, sexism, all examples of learning to fear rather than to love, to be afraid of things. There was, a, there was a, a book review in the Times a couple weeks ago, my favorite part of reading the paper. You, you like the, I like to, to, to still, I mean, I'm as digital as the next person, but there's something amazing about actually receiving a physical paper, which I do. Mine, this morning, it was, so, it was soaking wet. Of course it was. It was somebody, they, it's like they had placed it in a puddle. Anyway. It's very wet, but my favorite part of the, the paper is to read the book review. And so in the Times a couple of weeks ago, there was a, a review of a new book out by Eli Saslow called Rising Out of Hatred, The Awakening of a Former White Nationalist. And this is the, the excerpt of the book. Uh, Derek Black grew up at the epicenter of white nationalism. His father founded Stormfront, the largest racist community on the internet, and his godfather was David Duke. I mean, when David Duke is your godfather, you guys know David Duke, right? Uh, the, the grand wizard of the KKK. This is this guy's uh, godfather. By the time that Derek turned 19, he had become an elected politician with his own daily radio show, already regarded as the leading, quote, the leading light of the burgeoning white nationalist movement. We can infiltrate, Derek once told a crowd of white nationalists. We can take the country back. Then Derek went to college. Derek had been homeschooled by his parents, steeped in the culture of white supremacy, and he had rarely encountered the d diverse perspectives or direct outrage against his beliefs. And so he went to New College, a famously liberal college in Florida, and he met a bunch of new people. In fact, he made quick friends with a Jewish guy and a gay guy and, and, and a number of other people, and they started going out and hanging out. Of course, they had no idea about his involvement with Stormfront and where he came from, and so he started to talk and have conversations with people who believed in different things than he did, and he started to experience some philosophical changes, but meanwhile, he was still doing this uh, radio show. And so, finally, one of the cl his classmates at uh, the college uh, heard about his radio show and posted an email to the entire school saying, quote, Derek Black, white supremacist, radio host, new college student, question mark, question mark, a question mark. And of course, 
as soon as the word got out, his a life was changed. And so the story that's told in this book, Rising Out of Hatred, is the story, story of David, or, or uh, Derek, coming to, to recognition that his experience growing up and all that he learned was so antithetical to reality that he was taught things that just didn't correspond with what he was engaging with with his friends and family. And so the journey is, is coming out of the white nationalist movement for uh, Derek. Derek learned a fear rather than love. And while Derek's example is one that's, uh, uh, that's, that's very dramatic, the reality is that all of us have learned to fear things when we should be abiding in love. There are things that we, uh, that we have learned to be afraid of, and, uh, and the worst case, these come out as racism, nationalism, sexism, and there's so many other elements of, of fear. And yet, we read from 1 John chapter 4, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God who he has not seen. And so John is making it clear, you can't have uh, fear and loathing for a person and call yourself a follower of Jesus. It doesn't work. You can't be a racist and be a follower of Jesus. You can't be a sexist and be a follower of Jesus. You can't be a nationalist who puts yourself and your, and your, your tribe above everybody else and, and call yourself a follower of Jesus. It just doesn't work. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. And yet we have learned to fear and not love. And so the idea of abiding in love and living in love is a beautiful one. But the reality is, the reality is that there are difficult people in the world who are going to challenge our ability to abide in love. There are legitimate things to be afraid of in the world. The world is indeed a scary place. And we have learned from our upbringing to fear many things instead of have, and people instead of having love for them. And so what hope do we have? We have these challenges against us, irritating people, a scary a world, and then being taught to have fear and not love for people and things. What hope do we have of abiding in love? Well, the good news is that there is someone who abided in love in ways that we have not been able to. We're told that Jesus loved difficult people. In Mark chapter uh, 5 and verse 1, and this is one of those stories that appears in uh, three of the gospel stories. In Mark chapter 5, we read that Jesus was in a boat with his disciples, and uh, they went through some tumultuous time in the boat, and they got to the shore, and they got out of the boat, and they are confronted immediately with a man who is possessed by a demon. Now, I've met some irritating people. I cannot say that I have been, never been confronted uh, while I was in the subway with a person possessed by a demon. And so this person uh, uh, comes and com confronts Jesus. In fact, the implication is they are on the shore and uh, it comes up to them and there's really nowhere else to go for them. But Jesus, instead of trying to get around him or, guys, we've got to get back in the boat and get out of here, Jesus loves the guy. In fact, he has a conversation with both the man and the demon and he casts out the, the demon and then has reconciliation with this man who has been broken and battered for 
years. And so we see that Jesus loved difficult people. He didn't try to get around them. He didn't run away from them. He engaged the difficult people in his experience. Jesus also confronted scary things. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 47, we read that while he was still speaking to his disciples, uh, Judas, one of his disciples, came out of the twelve, and he had a great crowd with him. And they had swords and clubs and torches, all from the chief priests and the elders. And the betrayer Judas had given him a sign, and he said, The man I will kiss, this is the man you receive. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you came to do. And then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Jesus was not afraid of confronting scary things. He knew what was going to happen. In fact, if you go a little bit back in the story, we, we uh, read that Jesus spent the entire night preparing for this encounter that he was to have with the crowd. He knew what was, what was going to happen, and he didn't run away from scary things. I mean, when I am confronted with scary things, I want to get out of town. I want to move to another place. I want to find a comfort, and yet we find Jesus not afraid of scary things. In fact, Jesus confronting scary things, not running away. And so Jesus loved difficult people, and he engaged them. Jesus confronted scary situations. And finally, we find that Jesus comes from God. God is love, we're told, and therefore Jesus never learned to fear over love. In John chapter 4 and verse 1, we read this, and it came to pass that Jesus and his disciples were going through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field of Jacob. And uh, the disciples uh, went off to get some food, and he engaged with a, a woman. Now, had Jesus been sexist, had Jesus been nationalist, had Jesus been racist, he wouldn't have talked to this person. But thank God, Jesus was none of those things. And so he was not uh, uh, afraid to talk to someone of a different gender, even though that had implications in his day. He wasn't afraid to talk to somebody of a, of a different ethnicity or different race because he didn't have that fear in his experience. He, he comes from God, and God is love. He wasn't raised to fear instead of love. He wasn't nationalistic about uh, his tribe, his uh, people. God is love, and Jesus came from God, and therefore, he isn't burdened by the learning fear instead of love. And so, while we think of this idea of abiding in love being incredibly challenging for us, there is one who has done what we cannot do. Jesus loved difficult people. Jesus confronted scary things. Jesus is from God, and God is love, and God does not fear. God loves. And so racism, sexism, nationalism, and all the other fears are not a part of God's experience. Now the good news for us is, as we recognize that Jesus has done what we cannot do, that Jesus has overcome the things that we have not been able to overcome. There is hope for us. Verse 18 of 1 John 4, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. The implication is because Jesus came and had 
a perfect love. His perfect love casts out fear, not just from himself, but from us. Meaning, as we embrace Jesus' work on our behalf, he is able to start working in us to do what we cannot do, to attack the fears that we have in our experience, to, to, to help us to be able to love irritating a people, to help us overcome our fears of scary things in the world, and to help us to learn to shun racism, nationalism, sexism, and whatever other fear is out there. There is no fear in love, but God's perfect love casts out fear. God has done the work. First John 4 says, He has given us His Spirit. He has sent His Son, and the perfect love of Jesus casts out fear. A side note here. For most of human history, there has been a misconception about God. That God is angry. I, I would make the case that most Christians today still have a little bit of this sense in their experience. In fact, Adventists, maybe even in a more particular way, still have a little bit of this idea that God is angry with us. He's angry with us. My, my, the boys are, my boys are reading uh, the Greek myths right now. And Greek myths are just one example of this, of this great truth. That, the, the, that, that human history for so long has had the idea that God is angry. You know, all the Greek gods, they're always angry at the humans. The humans are irritating and annoying and in their, in their way, and they just are irritated with us. And so this idea that God is angry with humanity has been a part of human history for ages. And the work of Jesus was to dispel that myth, that idea, that misconception that God is angry. God isn't angry. In fact, John 3.16 says God loves the world. He's not angry at the world. God loves the world. In fact, he loved the world so much that he sent his only son to save the world. It's a tragic mis misconception that God is angry with the world, a misconception that has been widespread throughout human history. And so Jesus comes to betray a God not who is angry, but a God who loves. In fact, a God who is willing to do everything, everything, everything possible to give every person regardless of race or, or sex or ethnicity or, or tribe, everyone an opportunity to experience his perfect love and to have fear cast out. The good news is that God's work through Jesus gives us hope for a new future. Not just a future way off in the distance, but a future for you and I now that we can live lives where fear is cast out, where we start to look at people in a different way. Not to be afraid of, of people, that have love for people, even irritating people. That we can look at scary things and have confidence that God is on our side. And to relearn those things that we've learned from our childhood, those fears from our childhood, and those can be shunned and we can put them away and they can be cast out and we can be transformed and changed. The good news is that God has done this. Jesus has done what we could not do. And by his work, specifically his work through his sacrifice, we have hope for a future. In Isaiah chapter 53, we read this. By the way, First John said, look, the real issue with fear is, is it's related to punishment. We're afraid that we are to be punished. Isaiah 53 makes it clear what's really going on. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment 
that he experienced has brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. See, Jesus has already taken the punishment that, that, that needed to be met in this world. Jesus has already experienced this. So why are we afraid of, of punishment? The, 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 at the time, the end, we are all facing doom and gloom. But that, Jesus already faced the doom and gloom. As we acknowledge the work that Jesus has done, God is able to come in our lives and make transformation and change happen in ways that we'll never do on our own. He himself bore our sins in his body, Peter says, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, that we can experience transformation and change. And as God's perfect love becomes a part of our experience, as we acknowledge we are never going to get our act together on our own, we are never going to overcome our fears on our own, but as we embrace the work that Jesus has done, God is able to come into us and cast out fear. If anyone acknowledges, 1 John says, that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them. And so we rely on the love that God has for us because God is love. If you acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in you. This is the idea. And so each day we profess faith, we confess faith. I believe that Jesus is God's Son. And as we do that, our hearts are open. And as we allow God to do in us what we can't do for ourselves, He can start making the changes that need to happen so that we can love difficult people. That we can confront scary things without running away. And that we can overcome our biases, even our deep biases that we've learned since childhood. That we can overcome those things. We're not going to do it on our own, but as we embrace the work that Jesus has done, there's new hope for transformation and change, and that our fears can be cast out. This is good news, by the way, for a world that is broken and afraid. We live in a world that is afraid. The next five weeks, we're going to be talking more about fear. The world is afraid. People are afraid. And the good news is that in God's work, we have hope that fear in our own experience can be cast out. We can love difficult people, we can confront scary things, and that we can have our biases overcome. Nick read at the beginning of our service the Apostle Paul on this matter, and he says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, scary things, I am convinced that neither death nor life, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The great hope is, as we embrace God's work, He casts out fear, gives us love, and nothing can separate us from that love. May this love thrive in us as a community of faith here today. Amen.